0: Well, thank you for your uh, flexibility this morning as as we have a baptism and kind of shuffle things around a bit. So kids, if you're still in here and haven't gone to Children's Church yet, this is your chance to get out. And adults, adults, you are stuck, so. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of noteworthy things today. I guess, uh, as I said, baptism. We get a we get to celebrate uh, Michael Franks taking that step this morning, uh, being baptized, him making his public profession of of faith uh, and obedience to God. Um, as was said, uh, you know, happy Father's Day as well to uh, to all the dads. And and then finally, today is is the, is the official first day of summer it 's been ninety it feels like for a long time, so it seems like summer 's been here, but today it actually kicks off um, it 's the summer solstice today, kind of marks that that season uh, that that for some is filled with many days you know swimming in the pool, not too many better days too many better ways to cool off on a hot day than than taking a, a dip in the pool. And I was thinking about that, it reminds me of a game that, that my friends and I used to play growing up. Uh, because we were young boys and, and just seeking an outlet for the competitive spirit that we all had, uh, a swim in the pool would, would sometimes include a competition to see who could hold their breath underwater the longest. Uh, you've probably done this at some point in your life too. Um, you know, everyone goes under at once, and then the last person to, to break to the surface, of course, is the winner. Um, now, I imagine that we usually didn't make it much past one minute in that type of game, although it always felt way longer than that. I mean, I, I remember timing it sometimes. You'd go down, you'd come up, and, it, you know, oh, surely I was down there for like a minute and a half, and it'd be 45 seconds or something like that. But, uh, and I actually, I was curious, so I looked up the world record, just, I was just curious, and it was actually broken uh, uh, just a few months ago. Almost 25 minutes. <laughs> 25 minutes. A person could hold their breath. Now, granted, that that uh, the man who broke the record was allowed to take in pure oxygen for a half an hour before attempting it, but still, I mean, that that is uh, that is impressive to go almost 25 minutes um, holding one's breath. But even though, that that, even though that's the record, nearly 25 minutes, there's one thing that, that is quite clear to all of us from a very early age. We need to breathe in order to live. I mean, it's just inherent. We just know that. There's no life for us apart from breathing. And, and, and again, there's nothing groundbreaking in that statement, right? But, but that's the reality that stands at the heart of our topic this morning as we talk about the breath of life, breath of life. So we're in the the third week of our uh, Foundations sermon series, and so far we've we've looked at the interrelated topics of um, the image of God, and then flowing out of that, our calling as humans to exercise dominion in creation. Pastor Tim spoke on that last week. And our topic for today, the breath of life, is, is closely related to the image of God as well. And in fact, some would say that, that Genesis chapter 1 kind of gives an overview. We see God, you know, uh, creating mankind and then saying that, you know, creating mankind in his image. But then Genesis chapter 2 maybe gives a little bit of detail about what he did as he was creating mankind in his image. Now, before we look at that in Genesis chapter 2, and before we consider the ramifications of it, we do need to understand a a bit about a a word in the Hebrew language. The the Hebrew word ruach. uh, It's a fun word to say. Why don't you try it? Ruach. Ruach. It's a word that is translated into English as uh, either breath or wind, Or spirit. Those those are the three main ways it's translated. Breath, wind, spirit. And and it's it's dependent upon the context. Um, The very first appearance of the word is in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. So two verses in, we already get this word showing up. Uh, We're told that the spirit of God, the, the Ruach Elohim, hovers over the waters. Now, Now, throughout the Bible, God is not presented as a physical being, but rather as a spirit. Scripture tells us that God is spirit. And, of course, God became human in Jesus, and he forever united himself with physical humanity, but he himself is spirit. You can say God is ruach. And so, in other words, this Hebrew word, that's translated spirit, but also wind and breath is, is sort of a bridge term that kind of tries to communicate the spiritual in a physical way, if that makes sense. Okay, that, that, that's why it can be spirit or breath or wind. You know, even though we cannot see breath, we cannot see wind, they're physical things, right? I mean, just look at the storms the other night. Wind is a physical thing. We can see the physical destruction that, that came with it. We might even think of breath and wind as the least physical that a physical thing could be. Right? We know it's physical, but you can't see it, you can't grab it, right? but but yet it's physical. and And I think that's why it's a good way to think about Ruach, a good way to think about God as spirit, right? And 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 this, you know, that the, the the concept continues in the New Testament as well. In the Greek, the Greek word is pneuma, primarily translated as spirit. But but I mean, even in the English, things like pneumatic, you know, that that refers to something powered by wind or powered by compressed air. So there's this concept throughout the Bible. That, that wind, breath, and spirit are very closely related terms coming from the same Hebrew and Greek words. And then we get to places like John chapter 3, where, where Jesus is having a discussion with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in that discussion, Jesus tells him that he needs to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus goes on to say that being born again means being born of the Spirit, being born of spirit. And he gives this analogy. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And and so you you can see, you can hear in there how Jesus is using wind to convey something about God. You hear it. You see it, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, so there's this connection that Jesus is making there. And there's other times in the Bible, too, that that we encounter the English word breath or wind, and we ought to have our antenna up for kind of this potential deeper meaning. So when Jesus says you you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it's come from or where it's going, he's talking about wind, but he's not really talking about wind. He's talking about God. It's talking about God as spirit. And and there's other places. Um, Exodus 14, for example. There's a strong wind that parts the waters of the Red Sea for God's people to walk through. I have no doubt that it was a physical wind blowing there. But that's not just the wind that's being talked about. That's God himself parting the waters of the Red Sea. In Psalm chapter one, the the wicked are referred to as chaff that the wind drives away. And again, that's a picture of physical wind blowing away chaff, but there's that deeper picture of God himself being that agent at work. So, so kind of with all that being said, you know, understanding this interplay with this Hebrew word ruach and, and the physical and the spiritual of it, let, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 and kind of see an additional picture of God's working in creating mankind. So Genesis 2 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, I would, I would say it is difficult to overstate the intimacy of God's uh, creative act here. Um, I, I said a couple weeks ago in chapter one that, that uh, it conveyed intimacy when it talked about God making man in his image and not just speaking as he had done with the other things. But here, the, the intimacy is even further displayed. Um, you know, God breathing into Adam's nostrils. I mean, talk about getting into someone's personal space, right? I mean, <laughs> that is an intimate act right there, breathing into the nostrils of Adam. And then upon receiving that breath from God, Adam changed. He changed from being a body that was formed out of dust into being a, a living creature, Adam lacked life until God filled his lungs with air by breathing into him. And so what the Bible then goes on to show throughout its pages is that there there is both a physical component to what is taking place here, but there's also a spiritual component to what is taking place when God breathed into Adam. So, So let's talk about that physical component first. This is something that, that is, uh, again, it, it deals with physical life itself. You know, mankind is dependent upon breath in its lungs in order to sustain physical life. And, and, and that is similar to, to other living creatures as well. right? I mean, we know that. that that's shared by mankind with other creatures. And, and, and we see that in Scripture. Um, going back to the dominion mandate last week in Genesis one thirty that dominion extends over everything that has the breath of life. That's the phrasing used, and and we know that's referring to animals there. Uh, In Genesis 7, we're told that as the result of the flood, everything outside the ark, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. Again, referring to not just mankind, but other living creatures. And then in Psalm 150, uh, the phrase is everything that has breath is urged to, to praise the Lord. So, so there's similarity here in this com- component, the physical component, between humans and, and other living creatures. Both possess the breath of life and both are dependent upon breath in order to sustain life. And just like we know that we require breath in order to live, we, we know that our lives are fragile things. I mean, we know that, we're, we're reminded of that at times, especially to, to end someone's life really is not a complex thing. And I'm not trying to make light of that, just pointing out it's not. All, all that's required is to remove a person's ability to breathe, that's all you have to do. We are dependent upon breath in our lungs in order to live. And, and our regular breathing, I mean, we, we've all been breathing since we sat down, but, but since we were born, right? We've all been breathing. But even since you sat down in here this morning, you, you probably haven't thought about it <laughs> until we started talking about it. The fact that you've been breathing this whole time. It's typically an unconscious um, uh, thing that we do, but it's absolutely necessary. And, and, and uh, it, it's spoken of that way in the Bible. In Job chapter 27, Job says that, that uh, as long as breath is in him, he will not speak falsehood in that statement is a recognition by Job that his breath can be taken away. He says, as long as I have it, I'm not going to, to speak falsehood. Uh, later on in Job, one of his friends, Elihu, in chapter 33, he rightly proclaims that it is the breath of the Almighty that gives him life. So, so he's even more explicitly stating that he is dependent upon God for his breath and, and, and for his life. You know, the, the fact that our lungs are filled with breath from God as a gift from God ought to keep us uh, rightly humble and, and rightly focused upon our dependency upon God. And, and I, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I went to uh, the story in Luke chapter 13 that Jesus tells about uh, the rich fool. And so in that story, the the man uh, took in an abundant harvest and because his barns were too small and because he wanted to keep it all for himself, he tears down his barns, he builds bigger ones so that he can store it in there. But in the story, God says to him, he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And that word soul can be also translated breath of life. Tonight your breath of life is required of you. I mean we're we're reminded in that story that it could be just in an instant. This breath that we have in our lungs is truly a gift given to us from God. you, you We can work so hard in this life for temporal things, and then suddenly our breath is required from us. Um, god God has filled our lungs with his breath. we shouldn't shouldn't take that for granted. probably all have at some point in our life, but, but we shouldn't. And when we look back at Genesis chapter two, we, we see that God breathed into Adam's body and he brought it to life. And, and I, don't, I don't normally think of myself in those kind of terms, right? Because I was conceived by my father and my mother. But God's breath, his, his breath of life is no less present in my lungs than it was in Adam's even though there's this picture for Adam here, the same applies to me and, and applies to you as well. It's a gift to me and it's a gift to you just as much as it was to Adam. This breath of life. So there's, there, there's no question that, that God breathing life into Adam, into mankind, has a physical component to it. It pertains to our physical life. But there's also the spiritual component of what's taking place here. And, and this is the component that differs from all the other creatures. The physical component, we share with creatures. The spiritual component, we are, we are unique. And, and the differentiation between the two, between the physical and the spiritual, I think is, is uh, clearly seen in Ezekiel chapter 37. So I, d- I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, to Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, it'd be page 724. So the first 14 verses of Ezekiel 37, it's the story that we've probably heard before, the Valley of Dry Bones, this incredible picture that God gave to Ezekiel. So, so Ezekiel lived during the time in which the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem They had taken many Jews into exile, and they'd burned the city, and they'd burned the temple. God's people naturally wondered whether that was it for them, whether they'd blown it for good. I mean, the city was a smoldering heap. They'd been taken away. Is there any hope? What comes next? And God responds to that thought by giving Ezekiel a vision— in chapter 37. So follow along with me, in, uh, starting in verse 1 of Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. There's all kinds of parallels here with Genesis chapter two, right? I mean we, we can we can hear them. God brought the bones together, and he shaped them into bodies, but those bodies possessed no life apart from breath. And Ezekiel then called the breath from the four winds, again, this reference to breath coming from God himself, and the bodies lived and and stood on their feet. Now, now this prophecy is, is originally given at a specific time to God's people about their future, that there is hope for them as God's people, but it's also looking ahead to something beyond simply a return from exile in Babylon, a return back to Jerusalem. It's also going to look ahead. So look with me at verse 11, and we'll see how the tone shifts from the physical component to the spiritual. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So more than just the physical breath of life being in God's people, he promised that his spirit, he himself, would be in them. So not only would the people possess physical life, but they would possess spiritual life as well. God promised himself to them. And, and the prophet Joel spoke about this same thing in Joel chapter 2. So it goes, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea... And then Joel. In Joel 2.28, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And we know that the, the focal point of that prophecy is the pouring out of the spirit, because it starts with that and it ends with that. God promising that he will not give not just the breath of physical life, but pour out his spirit upon his people. God's purpose in creating mankind was not simply to create creatures that, that lived and breathed and kind of acted like him every once in a while. Uh, his purpose was to create a creature which possessed his image and with whom he dwelled, in whom he dwelled. That was his purpose in creating mankind. But sin got in the way of that, didn't it? Uh, Mankind rebelled against God's purpose. Mankind tried to be his own God, but God didn't give up. Just like there was hope for that valley of dry bones to not just live and breathe, but be indwelt by God himself, there's hope for all people. And that's where Jesus enters the picture. As I said earlier, God who is spirit, fully united himself with physical humanity by becoming human. And so Jesus came to earth, he lived a human life, and was himself indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We get that picture at his baptism, the spirit coming and, and, and resting upon him. But Jesus didn't come simply to live a spirit-filled life. He came to sacrifice his life that sin might be defeated in us. And so Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified upon the cross. And and Luke records for us the final moments of Jesus' life. And I'll read this out of Luke twenty three, and, and just hear these words in light of the conversation that we've been having here. Luke twenty three forty four. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus literally, literally gave up the physical breath of life within him so that you and I might have spiritual life. And of course, what accompanies that spiritual life is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. He literally breathed his last physically that we might breathe our first spiritually. That's what's taking place on the cross here. And, and both Luke and John make clear connections to this new reality. In John chapter 20, Verse 22, the, the just-resurrected Jesus went to meet with his disciples, and so upon entering the room, even though the door was locked, which is another story for another day, Jesus enters the room and he proclaims peace to them, and, and this is what John writes, and when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, I mean, there's a lot going on there. The fact that Jesus is physically breathing again speaks to the resurrection. But his breathing on his disciples takes us right back to Genesis chapter 2, where God breathed into Adam, gave him physical life. Well, here, the focus is upon the spiritual component. So, in addition to the breath of life in their physical lungs, Now the disciples possess the Spirit of God in their souls. Jesus breathed on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And and Luke then draws on this reality in Acts chapter 2. And we read that earlier in the service, the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, There was this rushing of wind that filled the room uh, where the believers had gathered and tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak other languages. And even in that, there's a whole connection between breathing and speaking, which we're not even going to get into this morning. It takes breath to speak. And then upon witnessing and participating in the event, Peter gets up later in the day and he speaks to the crowd and he makes reference to that passage back in Joel that we read, that God's spirit would be poured out upon his people. God's spirit would be poured out. We talked earlier how we cannot live physically without the gift of breath from God. Uh, The spiritual component of this reminds us that we cannot live spiritually without the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Just as breath is necessary for physical life, the Holy Spirit is necessary for spiritual life. So again, we can no more give ourselves our first spiritual breath, if you will, than we can give ourselves our first spiritual breath. our our first physical breath. They're both a gift from God. It's all because of God's work of breathing upon us. We simply receive it. We receive it physically. We receive it spiritually as well. There's been a lot of metaphors this morning, right? I mean, this is, you know, we're talking about the physical and the spiritual and and, and trying to relate these two. And so I use a lot of metaphors as I'm talking today. And In a sense, we have to in order to grasp the breadth and depth of of this topic. But but I wanted to end by trying to hit pause on the metaphors and, and just speak a little bit more concretely about this whole topic. Uh, every one of us here right now possesses physical life. Uh, uh, we're breathing. That, that means that we have physical life, and we owe it to God. Whether we realize it or not, we, we owe it to God. There's no way around that. But there's not, it's not guaranteed that every one of us possesses spiritual life right now. There is that guarantee that we possess physical life. We're breathing but there's not the guarantee that we possess spiritual life. That's only given to us as we accept God into our life. We accept who he is. We accept who we are according to what he has revealed uh, to us about ourselves, about our sinfulness. Um, we accept his gift of salvation through his death on the cross for our sins. And when we do that, when we accept him, that's when the Holy Spirit quite literally dwells within us and fills us. The Holy Spirit literally, not figuratively or metaphorically, Spirit literally dwells within us. And then from that moment onward, we are alive not just physically, but we are alive spiritually as well. in. Really, that's what we're celebrating in baptism this morning with, with Michael's life. We are celebrating that reality. He, he's publicly proclaiming that what I just described is true in his life. His, his physical baptism is also a symbol of the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit that he has received. God's Spirit dwells within him just as he dwells within each one of us who have received him, who have welcomed him into our lives. Uh, The breath of life is is a gift from God, physically and spiritually both. It is a gift from God, and it's through his breath, it's through his spirit that we receive not just physical life, but spiritual life as well. It's... uh, it's incredible to me that God can, God who is spirit, can even find a way to relate to us as physical beings, and he has. And, and this, this breath of life, wind, breath, spirit, you know, this topic all working together, I think, stretches our minds a little bit and helps us to understand this interplay between the physical and the spiritual. At the end of the day, it all relies on who God is, it all relies on God giving of himself to us, physically, spiritually, both equally. Would you stand with me? Let's give thanks to God for this, and then we're going to respond through uh, singing songs of worship to him. God, as we stand here this morning breathing, we thank you. We thank you for this gift that you've given to us. And we don't know how long we'll be physically breathing, but God help us to not take that for granted. Help us to uh, live each day uh, as you would call us to, to take this breath of life within us and to give you glory as a result. And the spiritual side of that as well, we also give you praise for. God, we thank you that we can stand here alive, not just physically, but, but also spiritually. And we thank you that once the physical breath leaves our lungs, the spiritual breath is, is remaining for eternity. God, that we are alive in you spiritually, never, never to die. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the hope that that brings we praise you for that promise in our lives. We praise you for the, the display of power that that is within us. So God, we thank you for your breath. Just as you breathed into Adam, we thank you that you have breathed into us as well. So we give you the glory this morning. It's in your name that we pray, amen.